0: All right, guys, welcome to another edition of uh, Quarantine Diary. This is Kevin. I am um, thinking about starting a brand new series uh, today called uh, Mark's Memo, um MM. The reason is that um, I have been following the whole COVID situation, you know, like um, trying to quote unquote predict the future um, to see what's going to happen, what is the best move in terms of. Um, Career choice, Um, I recently just switched uh, careers and um, I'm really interested in other perspective that is not really in the news world to give me some ideas about what exactly will happen and what are the potential pitfalls and what kind of a bias that there might be, right? So um, what ended up happening is that... um, I turned to uh, Howard Marks for the last oh, few months. I bought his book. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but every single time that um, <laughs> that uh, something comes up with Mark, I usually read it. Um, and um, to be honest, like, uh, Warren Buffett reads his memo too. So who is Howard Marks, right? So Howard Marks runs um, Oak Tree... Uh, capital management, uh, he's a billionaire, I think his net worth is $2.2 billion. Um plays poker, and um, he runs investment firms. So he is a very, very uh, well-known name in the business world, and in the investment world, um, uh, you know, a, a hedge fund, a, along those lines. And every single time that he released a memo, um, he's pretty analytical from his uh, podcast appearances on Tim Ferriss from his uh, books and memos. He's been written out like, you know, uh, seven to ten page memos for the last, I don't know, like 20 something years. So every single time that like, he released a memo, um, people like me, the uh, the uh, investment nerds kind of like wants <laughs> to pay attention to him. Trying to grasp like, what is he thinking? What is... What does he think about the market? It's not really necessarily, you know, give me tips to invest or, you know, what stock to buy, not along those lines, but it really points out um, what and top-notch investment guy think during this time, type of uncertainty, especially during now, during COVID situation, where nobody really knows what's going to happen, what's going to Intel, right? And um, his last memo um, came out, I think, la- uh, end of March of 2020, uh, like months ago. He um, talks about unpredictability, right? Like nobody knows what's going to happen. So, and to, uh, he just released another memo today. So I feel like every single time that uh, Marks released a memo, I want to dive into the memo, I want to dive second and I want to do it for myself, and why not do a podcast and you know share his thoughts and share my perspective on certain things as well. So, today, he just released a memo, um, the title is Uncertainty Second, so, so kinda of, so kind of like the continuation of the last memo. So I have a couple bullet points here. I want to kind of go over with you guys and share my thoughts, and we go from here. So first of all, Howard said that for the post-COVID future, it doesn't really ex- it doesn't really exist in our days right now. Like we cannot predict what's going to happen. I say in August of this year, and we can predict, but it's not going to be reliable, right? So in a way that the post-COVID future only exists in the way that we made it to exist. Meaning that our our actions right now, our actions, you know, every single citizen, right? Whether you want to wear a mask or not, whether you want to um, go out and party or not, that's really in a nutshell, making our futures um, in the fall time of this year, right? And actually, economists actually are being asked to predict the future the most, right? Like when will the next recession be? I remember I took a microeconomic class when I was going through college. And um, every single morning, um, the professor, when we had class, he would pull up the oil price and he would pull out um, Yahoo Finance News. And then we, we would talk about market there, uh, then and there. So for the longest time, I had a habit of every single time that I checked the internet, I checked the oil prices, I try to see what's going on, along those lines. Um, So economists are usually tasked with the idea of, okay, I need to predict the future. But most of the time, economists cannot predict the future because their decisions are tied into the politicians, right? What does Trump say today? Um, what did so and so in the government do such a thing that you know make the market react right like every single thing that the president said will change markets will be tied into people's livelihood right so it's completely unpredictable it's not really you know um, we want to say oh yeah we blame we blame trump for that but the thing is is that every single politician is unpredictable and then it's like you are trusting an economist, a person to predict another person. That's, that's like two different variables that you cannot control. Right. So this whole scenario is unpredictable. Right. And we have so many people that are willing to weigh in their opinions, like experts, right. We have the uh, Andrew Cuomo, right. Like, and, 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 and other doctors and we have the business people. Now, However, bring up something really interesting is the idea of expertise. So you kind of have to really be an expert to know who the real experts are, and I really, really believe that because um, I just got not, uh, got uh, on Netflix again. Um, they gave me another free month, and then I was kind of like bored one day, so I signed up back to Netflix, and there's this a show uh, or movie called Molly's Game, right? It's about uh, like a, a lady named Molly Bloom and then he run this high-stakes game, you know, like all the movie stars and TV show producers and athletes play. There's like, you know, the high-stakes poker game. And I play poker. Like I'm not really professional, but like it's my passion. It's my hobby for the longest time. And I was watching the poker scene and I was like, yeah, that's not accurate. Like, yeah, that's... That doesn't make any sense at the way that they depict the hand so I stopped watching the movie because I know a little like a little bit more about poker and then I kind of feel like the movie is full of crap but anyway um that makes sense right like in a certain field the more you know the more you really know you know where does the where does the uh, expert go right like how do you find them along those lines so and then there's a media role Right? Like the media, they also depend on expert as well. And then for sure, media people that go to the school of journalism or become a certain, uh, you know, a specialty in journaling, right? You know, journalism, like for example, somebody might be a tech journalist. Somebody might be covering the White House and covering the, you know, the, a SpaceX, the NASA launch, right? So they're not really experts. But they need to figure out who the experts are, and that introduce another vari- a variability in terms of okay, who should we trust in that sense. Right? So Howard said that the more that you know he tends to know about a subject, the less he trusts about the media. So the essence about expertise that Howard believes is that they are hard to come by. And expertise and uh, predictive ability are totally different. Being an expert doesn't really make you a predictor. It doesn't really make you a truth teller, if that makes sense. And we really want to be careful when we're listening to the quote unquote expert because with a grain of thought, like, you know, who put him on the pedestal with her that I say, okay, this this guy or gal is an expert. Like who put the, you know a stamp of approval on, on a certain things. If they're not an expert in a certain thing, then why are you supposed to listen to them? Right? So, in a nutshell, now let's take a step back, is that the most highest stakes according to Howard in terms of decision making is what he called the tail end consequences. Meaning that, let's say, um, from 0% Prob- uh, prob- uh, probability that this thing will happen to 100% probability that this will ha- uh, happen, most people, they care about, okay, how much will, will, like, will this hit, right? Like, what's the probability of this thing hitting first? And secondly, is that what's the prob- probability of like, this thing not hitting, right? So most people are preoccupied with assuming the possibility of something happening kind of like a standard deviation, right? Like 66.7%, whatever that is, right? Like the bell curve, that's in you know, one standard deviation. Most people are worrying about that. And Howard Marx believe that we most of the time ignore the low probability, but high impact uh, scenario. We kind of have a bias towards that. Yeah, that would never happen to me, right? Like drunken driving, right? Or like, you know, say you are a skier. That's what he said in the memo. Most people, like, they want to ski in the off-limit area, right? It's cool, it's exciting, but, you know, the probability of you getting endangered is low if you're skilled. But once you get injured, once something happens, then the impact is high, then you die, right? So, same thing with the COVID situation. Like My personal fear with this whole COVID situation is I don't know how I will react when I get it. Um, That's that's just the bottom line, right? I might not be symptomatic right now. Maybe I already got it. Who knows? But the thing is, is that once I got it, I cannot afford to have the high-impact situation. Although I'm young and healthy, I'm in my early 20s. It might not impact me, but for some reason, maybe it did then I'm dead on arrival, right? I don't want to risk that, and I don't want to put myself in that situation, right? So I'm actively avoiding the low probability, high impact situation. I, I listened to a podcast on Joe Rogan. He has a comedian friend, uh, part, part Asian, part uh, Black American. Very healthy, uh, in the early 30s, have a kid, you know, work out all the time, pretty buff. He, he got COVID and he almost got put on the respirator, right? Like, and then he said that the doctor told him that, hey, if you just got bad enough, if we put you on the respirator, then you might die because you are getting machines that help you breathe and your body think, oh yeah, cool. I don't need to work that hard to breathe anymore. So your body shut down, right? So the stats is 80% of people that got put on a respirator, they die pretty much for sure 80% of the time. So in my case, I don't want to get put into that situation where I roll a dice, I happen to get a low probability outcome where I got severe symptoms from COVID, then I either have permanent lung damage or passed away, right? So in the end, here's kind of how Howard, you know, and his memo is that we get this expertise that's going to give us some, you know, wrong signal. And we get it that we usually are, our, 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 our bias towards the bell curve, right? Like the a standard deviation, right? Like what is li- likely to happen, what is not likely to happen, and then we're done. We don't really investigate further. Then how do we prepare for something that we cannot predict it, right? Like how do we do that? And the answer that Howard must believe, and I think is the most important lesson here, is that recognizing that the... Tell end consequences like the low probability and high impact consequences will happen 100 percent so what that means meaning maybe if you can social distancing for a bit longer wait till things clear up meaning that when you're hedging your bets when you're doing your, your investment be on the cautious side of the portfolio right so assuming that the worst thing must happen and will happen will keep you safe long-term. And that is kind of like the most, uh, let's say the safest way to combat uncertainty, which we're all dealing with right now. Be a little bit more cautious, be a little, a little bit more conservative, and uh, just trying to avoid the tell and consequences, right? Probability and high impact. Low probability and high impact. And best of all, make sure who are you listening to that is also the true expert and i I think that's really true is that nobody really know who is the true expert in this case and in terms of reopening the economy in america like should we open now should we open later how soon we really have to get more than one perspective to know okay when will that happen and we cannot just listen to one or two sources and make sense of this whole situation by somebody who got labeled quote-unquote expert and messed up everything else. So hopefully that makes sense for you guys. Um, I definitely enjoy reading his memo. So every single time that he released a memo, I will do a podcast on him. And um, I feel like this memo has been pretty good. Um, Show me a couple of perspectives and biases in this pandemic. And um uh kind of a strength kind of a strength in my my support or my belief in Howard Mars and his ability to uh perceive the society, perceive what's going on, and I really appreciate his insight. Alright guys, this is Kevin Sanioff. Have a nice day. Alright guys, welcome to another edition of a uh, quarantine diary. This is Kevin. So We've been talking a lot about uncertainty for the last couple of days, right? Um, I read the um, Howard Marks memo yesterday, um, talk about how should we deal with uncertainty and how should we um, make sense of it? How do we plan for it? How do we prepare for it? And today I want to share some other views about uncertainty. Um, I read this book. It's uh, written by... Uh, um, according to Wikipedia, an Indian godman. <laughs> so, um, his real name is some freaking long Indian name that I cannot per, uh, I cannot pronounce. Um, but he go by Osho. Oso Osho Osho. Let's call it Osho. Um, so, a little background on this guy. So, this book he one talks about courage. And I only read probably a couple of chapters in, but I want to talk about the setting because he sh- talks a lot about uncertainty in this um, first few chapters. So let's start off by talking about the author. Right? who is also, I've never heard of him before. This is actually a book that recommended by uh, Joffrey. And um, so also um, who, were, who was born in the, Earlier twentieth century, um, and he was uh, Indian public speaker. He was kind of like uh, Gandhi, right? We all know Gandhi got assassinated like in the 1940s right? He uh, he was born in eighteen sixty something. So he was the one that started the Rajesh movement. Um, he, his last name is Rajesh, and he died in in nineteen ninety. So he's really long living, and. What Osho is pro, is uh, supporting is a um, critic of socialism. So he believed that India at that time, back in the 60s and 70s, they are not ready for communism, for socialism, for anarchy. Um, and he believed that it needs to wait till uh, capitalism has been matured um, for India before they can even talk about socialism. So he is a critic of socialism. And um, he is a critic of uh, Gandhi, right? So Gandhi is like this, like, you know, Indian lawyer that is a like very, very uh, mainstream, right? So Gandhi was being accepted as a mainstream um, person who's being you know, promoted by the Indian government back in the day. And Gandhi is also very mainstream in the Western culture, right? In the US, and nobody knows. Probably the most famous Indian person is Gandhi. But Gandhi's whole thing is about non violently protest against British rules. And I haven't really found out why, also, I I keep calling him also, why, also objected Gandhi, what kind of a viewpoint that he had on Gandhi. But what also promotes is the importance of meditation, which I can get behind, right? Like the importance of mindfulness, of love, of caring, of like, you know, showing people love, either physically or mentally, right? So he was being considered as a quote unquote, like the sex guru, right? Like the person who's preaching love and, um, Clearness and also awareness, uh, according to uh, his book. So this guy is not being considered as a mainstream thought leader. It's just somebody that kind of like a like a, um, a hippie like person, a hippie like guru, if you can call that. And um, so this book, "Courage: The Joy of Living Dangerously." Um, I want to share the first few chapters with, with you guys, kind of like a setup, now knowing a little bit about Osho. So, the main, the main idea is this, right? So, whenever people think about, okay, I want to achieve some kind of a security, right? I want to be financially secure, I want to be mentally secure, I don't want any unplanned variables, alright, I I don't want anything that's going to cause me trouble. Also thinks that that is bad, that is dangerous. Because being insecure and being uncertain is a good thing. Because a secure life is not worth living, right, like life, like you know that it's not going to be secure. You're, you're not going to know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes or next 20 minutes. You might have a good guess, but you probably don't know precisely what's going to happen. Right? So he claims that all idiots feel that they are secure because they don't have anything else to hope for. They don't have anything to work for. Now, life is not a mechanical process. Right? It, like, it just cannot have a way of working that is 100% certain. So he argues that a secure life, a certain life is worse than death because you are living in the lifestyle that is going over and over again. You die, you only die once and then you're, you're, you're quote unquote free, right? So he uses an example, which I think is very, very interesting is he uses the example of jail, right? When a person commits a crime, he spent time in jail. When you're spending time in jail, everything is certain, right? You get out to exercise certain time, you go back to the jail cell, you eat at a certain time, every single thing follows a schedule. So that's why, you know, people you know say, okay, I, I, I cannot be in a jail for a long time because our soul will die, that's why, because your life is all certain, right? Like, you know what's going to happen, let's say, tomorrow... In ten days, in twenty years, right? So that example makes sense for me. And he argues that the freedom comes from insecurity. I I know I talk about you know Bruce Tiff's book, right? Already free. It talks about freedom in a way that you do not want to search for it. It's already there, we already got it, but we're just overcomplicating things by not seeing it. And also argues that freedom comes from insecurity and freedom creates fear in a way that because we are having insecurity and we have freedom, then freedom gives us fear because we are not naturally trained to accept insecurity. It's like when we are in the hunter and gathering society, whenever we heard something, you know, rustling in the bushes, like, oh yeah, what is that? Right, like we're we're like not sure. The person that say, "Oh, what is that?" Like that person, it's our ancestor. Like that survived. The person that say, "Oh, that's probably fine. They probably got eaten by a tiger, right? Who's hiding in a bush." Um. So, so it's our human nature to be um uncertain to feel that uncertainty is as stressful, and I think that's why he set a stage for courage, right? Like how to have it and how to live dangerously and in a nutshell he even bring it to the religious perspective right like the person that want to be religious you know you know, Hinduism or Catholic or Christian they want a formula I, I, I really think that's interesting they want a formula of saying okay here's what you should do right here's some kind of a scripture you should read 25 times and then you will get something here's something that will happen and you know here's Today is the day when the Jesus rises, when the Jesus is reborn. They want a formula that, you know, we celebrate the same thing over and over again because people want that closure, right? And that that thing to Osho feels like is giving people certainty and certainty is bad. So I guess in the nutshell, I understand why Osho is not mainstream being accepted because mainstream people, they want... Certainty, they want closure. He is promoting that we should be looking for that insecurity. Like for me, I kind of um, just went through, went through the same thing. Um, I was um, changing careers, right? This happens that like, you know last couple of weeks. So I was, I made up my mind, leaving my current position, leaving my current industry, and. I want to look for a new opportunity, right? And then the process of looking is exciting because I don't know what what I'm going to find, right? I don't know what kind of a company I'm going to apply to. I don't know what kind of an uh, interview I'm going to get. I don't know who I'll be interviewing with. I don't know which company. I don't know where my next step will be. And that to me, I felt a certain kind of excitement when I was doing that, quote unquote, job hunting, right? So I think Osho got a point here um, because we've been talking about how to deal with uncertainty um, in a way, how to prepare for it. And Osho and, and, and is pretty much saying that, hey, just accept it, right? Now, the ultimate solution, by the end of the introduction, he says an intelligent person is the one who remain alert whatever the situation. Um, he will respond, or she will respond with his whole heart but he does not know what's going to happen. Meaning that a smart person in his book, in Osho's book, is somebody that always present. Again, back to the mindfulness, back to the presentation, uh, meditation, I I say presentation, meditation side of things. And the thing is, is that losing that expectation I think is key here, where you really don't care what's going to happen, what The real scenario is you are going to be present, solve the problem, provide solutions, and after that, whatever happens, happens, right? So that is the kind of thing that is like my opinion, my understanding of it is that do the best you can and um, be present, be mindful, be there, and that's it, Right? So the reason that uncertainty will give you total freedom is because you will have to be aware. If you're not aware, if you don't have enough self-aware, then uncertainty is a worse thing for you <laughs> because you don't even know how you're going to behave. behave. You, you, you don't even know how you, you're going to act. How are you going to get that quote-unquote total freedom from uncertainty? And if you really understand either yourself or the surrounding insecurity is an intrinsic part of life. It's something that in my opinion makes things up, like the seasoning in a, you know, in a food dish or in a cooking along those lines. So he challenged us to call insecurity freedom, to call uncertainty as wonder. To kinda of put like the positive spin on it. Instead of when we talk about uncertainty it was like, eh, we cringe. Just treat it as a positive thing. And I think that's a very, very interesting outlook on uh, uncertainty. So because we've been talking about it, especially yesterday, I think it's a good coincidence that this book started off with that. And um, that was my thought on it. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Makes sense. Hopefully. And uh, we go from there. All right, guys. Have a nice day.